0: For those of you who are visiting us today, this is, um, this is a hard day for this church. And losing a great mom, who loved being a mom more than anything. And so, on this day, on this Mother's Day, and this was... Over a month ago, the Lord put this on my heart, this psalm. So if you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139, the title of the message is Unplanned with a question mark. My sources include Michael Wilcox's The Message of the Psalms from the Bible Speaks Today series and Stephen Lawson's psalm commentary from the Holman Old Testament commentary. Psalm 139. Please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. This is the Word of God. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And then skipping to verse 23 Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for this day, for the hope of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that this life is not all that there is, but you have given us life. You've given us life to live in this world. Until you call us to to yourself. And so we thank you for your plan, Lord. Which is sometimes very difficult for us to embrace. But we trust you, Lord. You've given us the ability to trust you. The grace to have faith in you. And so we trust you, Lord. Teach us today your word. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. There's nothing... As precious as memories. Nothing is more precious than the ability to recall memories. Which is why Alzheimer's and dementia is such an awful tragedy. I'm so thankful for the gift of memories. This is my second I'm sorry, this is just going to be a weepy day. So, this is my second Mother's Day without my mom. And I can just, in my mind's eye, see my mom and all those memories. And as you know, there is nothing quite like the presence of a mother To wipe away the tears of a little child. Yet, as you also know, mom can't be everywhere at the same time. And neither can anyone else for that matter. Anyone else except the Lord our God. The Bible tells us that God is everywhere present. A a doctrine that is known as the omnipresence of God. If you're filling in the blanks in the outline, it's the omnipresence presence of God. He is in all places at all times. Yet God is not only present in all places, he is also fully present in every place. There's a little bit of a difference there. This is called God's immensity. God's immensity. Which speaks of God's ability to be fully present everywhere. Turn with me in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, to chapter 23. Jeremiah passed the Psalms, Isaiah, and so on, and then comes Jeremiah eventually. Jeremiah 23, verse 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And so the scriptures bear this out in the New Testament that God sees it all. God sees everything. Only an infinite spirit can be omnipresent. And the Bible says God is a spirit. The Westminster Confession of Faith says God is a spirit, infinite, unchangeable, and eternal in his being. So imagine that. So it is quite possible for God not to be confined to the limits of any space. To meet God, as someone put it, there is not a where to go or a when to occur. To be in the immediate presence of God is to step into another dimension altogether. The psalmist might describe the omnipresence of God in simpler terms like this. God knows me because he made me, so therefore he surrounds me. And I've just given you the three points, the three lessons of this outline. The first of three is this, how God knows me. How God knows me. David, King David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes into incredible detail in the first four verses to describe God's knowledge of the psalmist. David uses verb after verb to to the point that it almost sounds like a a thesaurus. He says, search. God searches, examines, God knows, God perceives, God guides, God discerns, God holds, God's familiar with, God tests, God leads. All these verbs are used in speaking of the the knowledge God has of the psalmist. It's a reminder of how comprehensive God's knowledge is of us. Look at verse 2 again. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And then in verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. But in verse 5, it's almost like David shifts gears when he says this. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This is one of the few verses where he doesn't sound completely positive. Almost as if he's feeling a little bit threatened. David said God surrounded him like a city under siege where there's no way of escape. And with this kind of close scrutiny, God saw the entirety, the entirety of David's life up close and personal. Don and I used to live in Marshall, Texas. Marshall's a town of about 25,000 people. But at the time, Marshall Pottery, in case any of you ever visited there... Marshall Pottery was responsible for making 25% of the world's pottery. Not the country, but the world. In the 80s and the 90s, 500,000 people a year would visit Marshall Pottery. We loved to take our young family there at the time to the pottery so we could watch the master potter at work. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And I, I remember standing and watching the pottery craftsman at work, and he was up to his elbows in the clay as he shaped the pot with his hands and with the help of the, the pottery wheel. And if God is the master craftsman of all, imagine how, as our text affirms That before he formed you, he knew you. I want you to think about that for a moment. When did your life begin? A lot earlier than it began. And if you'll turn back to Jeremiah, and this time the first chapter, verses four and five. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so the first lesson today is how God knows me. And then secondly, how God made me. How did God make me? The psalmist puts it very well, doesn't he? Two ways, fearfully and wonderfully. He made me fearfully, He made you fearfully, and He made you wonderfully. It's one of the most beautiful descriptions of creation in this song. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Wow. How do you top that? How do you top that? The part about God creating us in the secret place, in verse 15, can only be our mother's womb. Mentioned in verse 13. In the Revised Standard Version, when in verse 15 it speaks of being, quote unquote, woven together. It actually says in the RSV, intricately wrought. By a God who took the greatest care to make us perfectly. This beautiful work of creation was done beginning nine months before we were born. Our God was creating us and creating not only life, but but a life. In the words of verse 16, God created us from the embryo. Your eyes saw my unformed body right on through to the end of your life. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we're not talking just from birth to death, but the fact that from conception to death, a human life is God's handiwork. However, as as you know, not everyone believes that. Most of the legislators in New York don't believe that. We live in a culture that is very strange and foreign to me, and maybe to you, and and if not, I'm sorry. Um, Proverbs 8, verse 34 says, Blessed are those who listen to me. And then verse 36 says, But those who fail to find me harm themselves. And then this phrase, All who hate me love death. And I remember as a young Christian, I thought, now who would hate God? (laughs) And now I see there's a lot of people that hate God. One of my most heartbreaking moments as a citizen in this country that I can remember, and there have probably been many, but most recently was on the same night that we're celebrating life back in January at Evangel Temple at the Sanctity of Human Life Gathering. The members of the New York State Legislature were standing and clapping after the passage of a law that facilitates the murder of late-term unborn babies. Abortions of unborn children, typically five to seven months following conception, are matters of grave moral concern. Yet within a few days of that actual decision... The governor of Virginia was promoting infanticide, the murder of live babies. And you know, Mississippi is not really known for a whole lot in terms of, I mean, think about it. We're we're usually last in a lot of categories. But guess what? We're taking the lead in life. And I'm grateful for that. Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, the three states have a lot in common because these three states have signed into law, passed into law, the heartbeat bill, and I'm grateful to God for that. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed it on Tuesday in spite of a tremendous amount of opposition from Hollywood. Our Governor Phil Bryant signed it into a law in March. It's about seven or eight states that have actually signed into law the heartbeat bill, and it has um, it's been called unconstitutional, and by courts, several states has been declared unconstitutional, and, and so as a result, it's not law in those states yet or anymore, but it is in our state, and I'm thankful for that. Dr. Jean Wright, former associate professor of pediatrics at Emory School of Medicine, says that in spite of news media assertions to the contrary, Partial birth abortions are not rare. Speaking about 15 years ago, she said this. People thought the number was 500 a year. Probably the best statistics put in the neighborhood of 16,000 a year. And that was 15 years ago. Dr. Wright contends that from 20 weeks on, these pre-born babies can feel pain. And her point was that when children are destroyed in a partial birth abortion, they let out a silent scream. Which, if you have seen the movie, Unplanned, you will see what Abby Johnson witnessed that led her to quit her job as abortion director for Planned Parenthood in Texas. The movie, Unplanned, is the story of Abby Johnson who at the time was the youngest clinic director in the history of Planned Parenthood, until a life-changing experience in which she was called upon to assist with an abortion. And it turned her into an anti-abortion activist. Unplanned was released earlier this year. And here's the sad thing. It was in our theater, theater for a little over a week. Don and I saw it. And I, there were less than a, a handful of people in the theater at the time. My friend in Texas, Rex, is going to see and hear Abby Johnson speak this week. And I'm jealous because she is a warrior and a hero. In the words of theologian Stanley Hauerwas, quote, Abortion is not some little mistake. Abortion is a reflection of who Americans are. People in the United States are supposed to concentrate on themselves and pursue happiness. Thus, they ask themselves, why should we bother having children? You hear lots of stories about unplanned pregnancies. You may have had a few. On this Mother's Day, let me affirm, from a scriptural point of view, regardless, irregardless of the laws of man, no one has an unplanned pregnancy, not in the eyes of our God. No one has the right to terminate or cut off a life, whether by abortion or by infanticide at the beginning of a child's life or by euthanasia at the end of a person's life. God made us, fashioning us in our mother's womb for his own glory and for his own purposes. Now, if you're here this morning and you have had an abortion, Just know that my heart goes out to you. I'm not here to condemn you and to make you feel worse than you already do. There is a pain that goes with terminating a life that I can only imagine. And so I want you to know that sometimes we do make decisions in our lives that at the time seemed like the only answer. Regret is an awful thing to live with. But the gospel teaches us that our God can not only forgive us for our wrong choices, for our sins, but also remove from us the guilt of our sin. So know that there is forgiveness. And know that there is healing for your soul. First lesson, how God knows me. Second lesson, how God made me. The third lesson, how God surrounds me. I love the song it's a one of those songs that repeats itself over and over again but it still makes a strong point Michael W Smith's song Surrounded It may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you and he says that over and over again it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you and he starts the song by saying this is how I fight my battles This is how I fight my battles. We fight our battles as believers in Jesus Christ through prayer. Because we're surrounded by our God. And we can walk in the presence of God and and have a relationship with him that is ongoing. Even when we're upset with God. Even when we're disappointed with God. You know, it almost seems at some point the psalmist is trying to run away from God. Because in verse 7, it seems like that's why he would say, Where can I go from your spirit? Almost like there's a point that something's happened in his life where he would like to get away. For just a moment. Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. Nowhere. You know, probably the scariest thing about this is not so much about God as a God who will, who will pursue you to the ends of the earth, because He will. But the fact that as the psalm suggests, when you arrive, wherever you're going, he's already there. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And as the psalm goes on, it doesn't seem that the psalmist is expressing all these truths about God's omnipresence on a note of apprehension, but actually rather on a note of appreciation. Appreciation of a God who knows everything and is everywhere. Now, your Bible, your Bible is probably a lot like mine in the sense that at the, at the top, at the heading, It probably says something to the effect of, for the director of music of David, a psalm. But in one Greek manuscript of this psalm, it has this heading, a psalm of Zechariah in the dispersion, meaning a much-beloved psalm by the people of the exile. After the 6th century B.C., when Jerusalem was destroyed and all the people were taken captive to Babylon, many of them were, and the people were in this distant country and had to live there for more than a century. And then many of them decided to stay there. And so let's go back even a few hundred years before that. When Moses led the people through the wilderness, he encountered one problem after another. And when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law of God, the people were down below sinning against God, breaking every single one of the Ten Commandments. After the people rebelled... God did what? He, he judged them. And then it was time to move forward. And so Moses said to God in Exodus 33, You have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In verse 14 it says, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And that was all Moses needed to know. But he needed to know that. He needed to know who are you going to send with me? I'm going to go with you. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, Moses was saying that in the presence of God, there is found a remedy for the constant outbreak of sin, which threatened Israel, which threatens you and I today. Verse 17, and the Lord God said, this is Exodus 33:17." And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. This is almost more than Moses can take. And so he's all fired up and he blurts out, oh, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory now. And God did. And I want you to know something this morning. The Lord wants to give you what he gave to Moses. He wants to give to you the assurance of his presence and the gift of his glory. To understand what he meant by glory, we need to move from Moses and Mount Sinai to Jesus and Mount Calvary. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the glory of God for us to see. Jesus Christ is the glory of God for us to see, behold, experience, and receive. All that God explained to Moses about his glory is manifested in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord our God. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 6. It's in your bulletin underneath the outline. Let's read it out loud together. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of "...of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ." This verse comes at the conclusion of the Apostle Paul's description of Moses' experience of the glory of God on Mount Sinai. Moses beheld the glory of the Lord, and then he put a veil over his face, if you remember, when he returned to the people. The reason he did that was the radiance of his face caused by the the presence of the Lord was fading... And Paul wanted these early Christians to realize that Christ is the unfading, the unfading glory of God, who is continually present with them. And so remember, remember what Paul told the Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for this day. I'm thankful for your grace that sustains us. I'm thankful for the life that you gave to me and for the life that you gave to my friends. Lord, just like the psalmist, we all get disappointed with you. I'm disappointed, Lord. Lord. Because I sure wanted to see Jamie live a lot longer than 52 years. And there are others in this room that are just as disappointed, Lord. Because they had high hopes and dreams and plans for their children. Who didn't live as long as you wanted them to. As long as they wanted them to. And. But you had a plan, Lord, and it was perfect. It's just so hard for us to embrace that plan. And so this is how we fight our battles, Lord. We are fallen people. That only by the grace of God do we are we able to put one foot in front of the other when we go through trials and tragedy and sorrow. And yet you're a God that loves us and cares for us. And you live in a whole another dimension than we do and And we know that you do all things well and that you are good. And yet, Lord, it's so hard to to understand. And so give us the gift of faith to trust you, Lord, and to entrust those that we love into your unfailing care. How we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And, Lord, we have nowhere else to turn but you. We need you. And I'm thankful for those in this place that know that. And I'm sure there are those in this place that have no clue that they need you. But one day they will. And I pray that you will be there, Lord, for them. And give them the grace to turn and fall upon you. But today, Lord, this church family needs you. And so give us the grace to sing these words that we're about to sing. And to entrust our lives and those that we love into your hands. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you that our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the life to come. And, Lord, we don't live like that, and so forgive us. But today, in this worship service, captivate our hearts and enable us, Lord, to live as a follower of Jesus, whose life is not here in this world, but is in the next world. The world that you've been preparing for thousands of years. Heaven is our home, Lord. May we live like that. May we pray like that. May we sing like that. Give us grace today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.